Welcome back to Doctors and Litigation, The L Word, where you'll hear the truth about the litigation process through the voices of physicians who have been there. I'm Gita Pensa, and in the first two episodes, we discussed the reasons why litigation is so emotionally difficult for so many physicians. And we took a deep dive into what happens in the very first steps after a lawsuit is filed. So much of our anxiety comes from a lack of knowledge on the process and the culture of medicine that keeps us from discussing it openly, even though it happens to the grand majority of doctors. If you haven't listened to those, I recommend that you do. And now today we're zooming in on a single case, a real case that happened in a community emergency department in Illinois a few years ago. Now, of course, there are all kinds of lawsuits stemming from all sorts of cases. Some are minor, some are major, some are nuisances, and some are soul-shattering. And although this case is, it's a scary one, it's really not as singular as we would like to believe. And it's important that we talk about what is happening to real colleagues going through this process. Remember, we as physicians like to be prepared, and we do prepare for rare cases and scary situations, all sorts of things that are terrifying and unlikely. But we do prepare, and this is a part of your career that should be no different. So in this first part, we're going to talk about the actual case, and then we'll talk about the legal and emotional aftermath as a basic illustration of some of the many stressors involved in litigation that we'll investigate in more detail later. So allow me to introduce to you Dr. V. He did give me permission to share his name. However, I'm keeping all the physicians involved in these stories anonymous. At the time of this case, he was the director of the emergency department at a community teaching hospital in Illinois. And later on, we're going to talk about the state-by-state ramifications of where you practice and how it affects litigation. He's a very well-respected, astute clinician who one day took care of a 35-year-old male who drove himself to the ED with a complaint of right-sided chest pain. When I first walked in, he was uh, very comfortable and basically said that I was in the shower getting ready for work in the morning and I felt kind of sharp pain in the right side of my chest. He had normal vital signs, barely any pain left. He said maybe it was a one or two out of ten, and... He said I wouldn't really be here if I hadn't told my wife. I otherwise would have just gone to work. He had a very normal exam, and only real significant finding on his exam was that I thought I had heard a systolic ejection murmur kind of over the uh, left upper sternal border. So you listeners know something's going to happen because we're talking about this case. But one of the challenges in discussing med mal cases is that you have to put yourself in the position of the physician going forward who doesn't have the ominous soundtrack to anticipate that something bad is lurking. This is just a 35-year-old guy with no risk factors. His wife told him to come in because he had some pain, and now he feels good. That's it. The EKG that was done at triage is stone-cold normal, even in retrospect. It's all fine, except Dr. V finds a subtle murmur, and that pushes him to do some labs and a chest x-ray. He doesn't know if that murmur's new or old. He thinks it's systolic. The patient now is asymptomatic. But it's just enough for him to think that maybe he should look a little bit. 
And for those of you who are wondering what the bedside ultrasound showed, I want to remind you that this case is actually starting a few years ago in a community center. And although it could have been really helpful, that wasn't necessarily standard. And so a couple of hours go by and the troponin comes back at 0.16. I went and talked to him again. I re-examined him and I said, you know, you have to stay in the hospital. Um, I'm just not sure exactly why yet. Uh, for some reason, your cardiac markers are elevated and um, I'm gonna order a CT scan of your chest. So it's time for our first timeout. I'm gonna let you in on something. Dr. V does everything right. This isn't one of those cases where the doc sends the person home or ignores a lab result or doesn't take someone's history seriously or doesn't do an exam. This is a case where a doctor listens, does a great physical exam, sends the necessary tests, and figures out the diagnosis. So why are we talking about this case? Because first, it's a good example of how you can make super solid medical choices. You can even do everything right and wind up being sued. It's also a great example of how things beyond your control can push a case in the wrong direction, but when push comes to shove, the blame rests entirely on your shoulders. Getting timely radiology studies was a problem at this hospital. Essentially, about three and a half hours passed between when I ordered the CT scan and when uh, it was resulted. So this is on top of the two hours it took for the labs to come back to let Dr. V know that something was wrong in the first place. I think you're starting to see where this is going. And so I get a phone call from radiology saying, hey, your patient has a 8.1 centimeter ascending thoracic aneurysm. So of course, now the alarm bells are ringing, but the patient fortunately still has normal vital signs and is pain-free. The radiologist doesn't think that there's any bleeding on the scan, and so... I got off the phone with him um, and called CT surgery at my hospital. And the CT surgeon was in one, scrubbed into a case, and he said, I am not done with this case, and then I have another, like, six-hour case after this. So there's just no chance I can see this patient. Please call my partner at another hospital, which is a big tertiary hospital in our region. So that's what Dr. V does. He talks to the transfer team, and they get CT surgery on the line. The patient has a blood pressure of 120 over 70 and a pulse of 80, and he's still asymptomatic. Dr. V asks about beta blockade, and the CT surgeon says, I'd let it be. If he's not having any pain with those vitals, I think we'd just let it, let it be. The CT surgeon then says he'll have a cardiologist that he knows at Dr. V's hospital come down to the ED and check the patient out. That cardiologist arrives in 15 minutes, and he agrees that the patient seems to be doing well, and that he wouldn't advocate any medications while awaiting transfer. But the transfer takes a long time. The tertiary hospital basically, despite telling me at 4.30 that they had a bed. They did not clean that bed until 6.30, and 6.30 they called us and they said, oh, go ahead and call the ambulance for transportation. And then it took the ambulance, you know, 20, 30 minutes to arrive to the hospital, and then he was gone. Dr. V initially sees this patient at 10 a.m., but because of delay after delay over which he has no control, the patient doesn't leave the ED for the tertiary care hospital until 7 p.m. And now here's the part that you're dreading. The patient arrived at the tertiary hospital, and within minutes of arrival, they literally were taking him out of the ambulance and walking through the ED when all of a sudden, I assume he must have become unresponsive. 
The tertiary care team does everything they can to try and bring the patient back. They do a pericardiocentesis, they get blood, but in the end, they can't save him, and he dies. Dr. V hears about it that evening from a friend, another emergency physician within his group and director at another hospital. It turns out he's the patient's cousin. He was like, oh my God, I, I'm sorry. He's like, I, I can't believe this happened. And it sounds like you did everything right. And this was just a good catch and a bad outcome. A good catch and a bad outcome. The next day, the patient's father came to see Dr. V. I knew his father because he was a volunteer at our hospital. And he came and found me in the ER and said, hey, listen, I know you did everything you could for my son. Um, I just don't want you to worry that you could have done something differently. And uh, I really appreciate everything that you did. It's such a meaningful gesture. It means the world to Dr. V to hear it. After all, he did really do everything he could do for this patient and was horrified and so upset to hear how it ended. Having the family understand was so important. But then... Two weeks after that, um, the charge nurse in the ER said, hey, the wife of the patient that passed away came in to get all of his medical records. You know what that means. Yeah. You know what that means. It did not take long for the suit to get filed. A couple months after that was when I was served with papers for the malpractice suit. Dr. V had encountered numerous delays beyond his control and had taken excellent care of this patient during the day, checking on him at least 12 times during the stay, keeping him and his family informed about the delays. He'd consulted with CT surgery. The patient was seen by cardiology. And in the end, he sued for delay in diagnosis, failure to give a beta blocker, failure to diagnose an aortic regurgitation murmur, failure to get the CTA aorta stat, and a delay in transfer. So, as you can imagine, for a physician who was up against system issues, fighting every step of the way for this patient, who was devastated by the horrible outcome, who did everything right, you could imagine that this would be quite emotionally distressing on many, many levels. And in our next podcast, we're going to be talking more about litigation stress and coping strategies. But what did Dr. V do? My take home is that I really have to detach from what's going on in the case and what's going on in my personal life and professional life that you have to compartmentalize the case because it could become all consuming if you let it. If you keep worrying about what's going to happen or just being angry that you're even having to face this when you feel like you do a good job at work every day. That's easier said than done for many people. But if you can do it, do it. And something else he told me about how he coped was also very important. I found that I really needed the support of my wife and my family who are just saying, let this go. Just let it go. If you settle it settle it because you're settling it for us. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself in the story of what actually happened, but I had to make the point that a key component of coping with this is talking to friends, to families, or colleagues. And 
I know the lawyers in the insurance company say not to, but what they mean is not to talk about the details of the case. You absolutely can and should talk about how you're feeling, what is happening to you, and how you are coping. But let's get back to what happened. So far, Dr. V is the only physician named. In the suit, only I was named and the hospital was named. They had reserved the right to sue the tertiary hospital as well as the cardiologist and the CT surgeon. And then they never exercised that right. They just left, uh, left it with me in the hospital. So Dr. V is the only human being who has to personally answer for what happened. Yes, the hospital is named, as they often are, if at all possible, because of their deeper pockets, but it's the hospital. There's no administrator named for allowing for radiology delays to become the norm. The CEO doesn't have to sit there and be personally attacked and impugned and miss time from work and perhaps not get paid for the days he's not seeing patients. As you're beginning to see, there are a lot of normal human reasons why one might become consumed with bitterness during this process. And here's another one, the cannibalistic plaintiff's physician expert. When I read his testimony, I mean, it literally made me want to vomit. Just the hyperbole that he spoke with was nauseating. And I had to stop multiple times while reading this testimony, basically just dropping F-bombs at the words that he was using. And the first thing I did was I Googled him. I hadn't even finished reading his deposition and I Googled him. And I see that he's a writer, he writes for medical dramas on TV. And then I saw, you know, we all have those Google reviews. You know, ER doctors don't get a ton of them because we don't have continuity with patients, but he had eight or nine of them and they were all one star. And people actually like took the time to write, Dr. So-and-so is a terrible person. He misdiagnosed me and I almost died. Yeah, I have a super duper whole lot that I want to say about experts. That's going to have to wait for another day, too. So after a long road of ups and downs, each with its own emotional turmoil, it becomes apparent that Dr. V is headed to trial. The plan was for a three and a half week trial. Leading up to trial, they said, you know, be very prepared to settle and I very much wanted to defend myself in court. I truly felt my heart. I could not have done something differently to change the outcome without knowing beforehand what was going to happen. And so I was vehement about staying on track and taking this to court. And my lawyers kept saying, you really need to consider settling because if the hospital settles, you're not going to be in as good a position. And why were they concerned that the hospital might settle? They were concerned because it did come up during the discovery phase that the hospital has had these big issues with radiology. And so they were worried that they may end up paying a lot of money if they did not settle. And then the hospital settled on the first day uh, of trial. And, and then the lawyers kind of pulled a 180 and they're like, your chance of winning has gone down. But we believe in you and we believe in your case. You should fight this. And he wants to fight this. He knows he wasn't negligent. He knows the plaintiff's experts have sold their souls. They argue that he could have made things happen so much faster, that he documented a murmur that in retrospect must have been diastolic and that because the patient had had chest pain at some point that it should have triggered an immediate trip to the OR. He wants to fight, but then he gets a letter. 
a letter addressed to me, but handed to my attorney saying that the hospital has settled. Clearly, this is a sign that my care was substandard. They will get a guilty verdict from the jury, and then they will ask for at least a $10 million verdict. And since my cap is a million dollars, they will personally come after me in order to get the excess. First, one small correction. Since this is a civil trial, not criminal, Dr. V would have been found liable, not guilty. Traditionally, it's been very rare for lawyers to be able to use the threat of going after a physician's personal assets, either by refusing to settle for policy limits after a large verdict or by bringing in what are called punitive damages. But in certain states, the climate is such that plaintiff's attorneys can run amok. And even with the knowledge that it's even rarer for attorneys to win at this tactic, just the stress of the thought of it will usually make a physician settle. Of course it does. That's the whole point. In order to avoid that, they will take a settlement right now before jury selection has completed of my policy limit. You'll hear me say it again and again. This is not about the medicine. This is not about justice. This is about strategy and money. The next day before trial starts, the plaintiff's attorney says he wants to speak with one of Dr. V's attorneys because I just want to let him know what's on the line here. I have personally gone after four physicians, personally, in, in suits such as this, and I have successfully garnished future earnings from two of them. And if you doubt me, here are the lawyers' names of the two physicians that I went after personally and won. Dr. V's attorneys confirmed that that was, in fact, the truth. They said, we don't know what to tell you. We still think that you can win this case, but this guy is not lying. Dr. V struggles with this decision. He does not know what to do. So that was Friday. I thought about it all weekend, and I had to be in court on Monday for uh, jury selection. Monday morning, I told the malpractice insurance company lawyer, listen, I gave this a lot of thought. I don't think this is worth it for me. If it was just me, I was unmarried, I didn't have a wife and three kids, I would fight this to the end. But I can't think that way because this isn't about me. This is about my family, and if this guy has even a 1% chance of garnishing future earnings, then that's taking money away that's meant for my family. Physicians often don't have final say or control over what actually happens. The lawyers say... It's not as simple as saying that you want to settle. They have to meet our number. But in the end, the case settles. The plaintiff's attorney has the gall to actually thank Dr. V on his way out of court. Dr. V nearly needs to be physically restrained, his anger overwhelming. Look, I know this is upsetting to even listen to. Some of you may be upset with me for even telling this story, just arguing that I'm unnecessarily scaring people, and obviously I disagree. Many cases are less dramatic and are manageable, but still very stressful in their own right, and we'll talk about that. But this is also happening, and the details from case to case may change. The actual form or depth of psychological manipulation may vary. But I'll tell you that from my own personal experience and the experiences of friends of mine, colleagues of mine, and physicians that I've been talking to, this is happening. And we need to collectively care about it. Nothing will change if we can't even 
acknowledge this amongst ourselves, if we just put our heads in the sand and say, we can't discuss this, it's too difficult. And if we just continue to be unfamiliar, unprepared, and unsupported. So stick around and listen next month when we talk about coping strategies and you'll hear from other physicians about their stories and their experiences all in an effort to help you when it's time. Thank you.